0: Amen. <clears throat> well, I hope that you all had a great Thanksgiving, as we said earlier. And uh, I'm not sure if we have any thankful MPBC slides or not. If we do, we can put those up. But I'm not sure we do have a few. All right, we got some more this week, and uh, some folks that were able to share a little bit uh, through uh, social media, and that's been a great experience for us this week and and this whole month, uh, past uh, November. Uh, seeing what uh, folks are thankful for and sharing a little testimony that way. And it has been wonderful to take part in that and to see that as well. But we are blessed beyond measure. Amen. We truly are blessed, a blessed people. God has uh, revealed himself to us in so many ways. And and we're just grateful for all that he has done and all that he continues uh, to do. And so we're grateful for God's blessings. Well, today we're going to begin a Christmas series called The Emotions of Christmas. Right, Christmas is a great time of year and it evokes quite a few emotions in each of us. We're we're going to look at five different emotions and that's not the, that's not all the emotions that we'll feel at Christmas time by any measure, but we're going to look at five specific ones uh, for the next five weeks. And but today we're looking specifically at anticipation. Now, from a child's perspective or from a perspective of the young at heart, there is certainly the anticipation of December the 25th. The older I get, the quicker Christmas comes around every year, but as a child, I didn't think that Christmas would ever arrive. Are y'all with me? You know, we couldn't wait until the Christmas parade came to town, we couldn't wait To see Santa, it wasn't at a mall back in my day. It was at the local Sears and Roebuck uh, store. We couldn't wait to have the children's program at church. We couldn't wait for Christmas Eve when our family would go to visit both sets of grandparents and we'd get a lot of fun things when we'd see both sets of grandparents. We couldn't wait for Christmas morning when we knew that as we would wake up, we would come to the living room and we would find all kinds of gifts and toys left by a jolly old elf at some point during the night. Uh, We had great expectations as kids as to what the holiday season and what Christmas morning would bring. Lydia is our youngest. She's 11 years old, but she still has a lot of that Christmas expectation. She's already begun to think about uh, December the 25th. As a matter of fact, I overheard her say yesterday, I cannot wait until December the 25th. <laughs> and I thought, oh, have mercy. <laughs> I'm so not ready for December the 25th. But nevertheless, there are those expectations. And as adults, even, our expectations about Christmas are a bit different from the children's expectations. But we all still have those things in which we expect as we anticipate Christmas. Now, today, we're going to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture from Isaiah 9 and see that the prophet Isaiah, who lived seven to eight hundred years before Jesus was born, was also anticipating Christmas morning. But while uh, what what he was anticipating and what we are anticipating are different, there are some similarities to that expectation. And what we find in today's scripture is this, that which we are looking for today, really, that thing, those things that we're really looking for today can be found in what Isaiah was expecting and anticipating. I'll explain that as we go along, but so let me ask you the questions this morning. What are you looking for this Christmas? I know you're already thinking about Christmas morning. What is it that you are looking for? What is it that you're anticipating? What is it that you are expecting Christmas? Well, what was Isaiah expecting? Well, let's take a look. Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7, if you would, in honor and reverence to the word of God, if you would please stand as I read that for you, if you're able this morning. And I'll read Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he highly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her. By the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. We thank you so much for the reading of the word of God today and Lord, this expectation and the anticipation that Isaiah had of the Messiah's coming and knowing of what you would do and who you would be Lord. And now we can look back and see what has taken place and Lord still have some of those same expectations today, but Lord, we pray that you'd help meet the needs of our heart today, Lord, where there needs to be conviction, convict us. Where there needs to be comfort, comfort us. Lord. Where there needs to be a calling out, a refreshing of our spirits, a renewal of our faith, revival. Lord, whatever the case may be, if there are those here who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, may this be that hour of salvation. And Father, we pray for those of us who do know you that you would just work in our hearts and lives to draw us to the place where you want us to be. Lord, we pray that you would have your way. Lord, the message is not about me, it's not about our church, but it's all about you. We pray that you would have your way in every heart and life and may your spirit overflow and may you have your way. May the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, you see an outline there in your bulletin, I think, uh, about today's uh, message. And as we said, we're talking about uh, the emotions of Christmas and anticipation. And the first thing we see here is expecting comfort, expecting comfort. As adults, when we think of Christmas, our minds may go to anything except comfort. Oftentimes we think about busy malls and shops, uh, empty bank accounts, wrestling with wrapping wrapping paper, and the instruction manual that says, some assembly required. (laughs) That does not Uh, generate within me a sense of comfort uh, when I see that. But we have to ask, as we think about these things that will take place, why do we do those things? Why do we go to the malls and the shops? Why is it that we uh, spend the money on the gifts? Why is it that we uh, wrestle with the wrapping paper and we do the things that need some assembly required. Why is it? And the reason is, is because we are looking for the end result to be a sense of comfort. We go through all of that and all the things that we'll go through over the next uh, few weeks because we're looking for the end result to be a sense of comfort. We're looking for the comfort of our traditions to be kept, Right? We're looking for the comfort of that feeling of nostalgia, of having our children with us, our grandchildren, our parents, our grandparents, or whatever. And and we want everything, as we come together on that day, to be okay. We want to create a sense of excitement and pleasure in our families and our children. We are expecting a day of comfort when everyone gathers and the food is all on time and all delicious and the gifts are all unwrapped with the oohs and the ahs and and we work work hard all month, if not part of the year, to just create this one day where everything will be okay. Right? That's what we're looking for. Well, believe it or not, the prophet Isaiah is looking for the same thing. He's anticipating a day when everything will be okay. He's anticipating that when everything will be made right, and that day is when the Messiah comes, Christmas. Isaiah, in in verses 1 through 7, we see Isaiah speaks in what is known as the prophetic perfect, meaning that even though the events are in the future, as Isaiah writes, they are described as if they have already occurred. So it's the prophetic perfect. Uh, perfect. Isaiah is anticipating Jesus. He is looking for and he's expecting comfort. He is anticipating who the Messiah will be. And we see in our verses here in Isaiah chapter 9, who he is anticipating the Messiah will be and that he will be first off light to the darkness. Look at verse 1. <clears throat> Verses one and two really as we'll come to that in a second, but we see verse one, nevertheless the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by way of the sea beyond the Jordan and Galilee of the Gentiles. Now now <clears throat> if we just look at that at face value, we really don't we sort of miss what Isaiah is speaking of here, but he is speaking of an area and a people that are overshadowed with darkness. Uh, The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, or the northern portion of Israel... And being that the northern portion of Israel, it was far from the capital, and it was far from the temple. And in this area, it is intermingled with pagans because they were close neighbors to the Assyrians, and, and they had very few religious privileges in this area. And those people in that area of Zebulun and Naphtali were rather mean and rather rude. Some of the area of, of northern Israel had some had come under the rule of the Assyrians and was called the Galilee of the Gentiles. Where it talks about by way of the sea. Uh, It was a major international highway that was running through the region and it was used by the invading Assyrian soldiers that took the route when they invaded the Northern Kingdom. So as Isaiah is talking here in verse one, he is really painting a picture of gloom that they are under in that area especially. There was gloom because of the oppression uh, but also because of discipline by God because they had strayed from him. But Isaiah is expecting comfort. He is anticipating a day when the Messiah will come and will wipe away the gloom and the darkness that had been brought on by the Gentile domination. But where will that comfort come from? We find it in verse two. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them A light has shined. What's he pointing to? What's he expecting? What's he anticipating? His name is Jesus. The prophecy is Jesus. See what Matthew said about Jesus in Matthew 4, verses 12 through 16. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, that look familiar to you. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Isaiah is pointing forward to this one who is the Messiah, who we know to be Jesus, and Matthew is pointing to Jesus, saying, Here he is. This is the one. He's the one. Jesus is that light in the darkness, that land of Zebulun, and Naphtali is Galilee or Nazareth where Jesus started his ministry. We know that that land still had the very same reputation as it was in Isaiah's day because you remember that Nathanael asked, as Philip had come to him, pointing him toward Jesus, Nathanael asked, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus was willing to go to the roughest, most difficult places first. Not only was he born in the lowliest of places, but he began his ministry in the lowliest, most difficult places. He's the one who brings comfort to the soul as he brings light to the darkness. He dispels the gloom by being the light in the darkness. He is the one who points the way, providing the way of salvation because light brings comfort in darkness. Do you know that for sure? Do you know that? As a child, I stayed with my grandma, Grandma Anthony, who's with the Lord now, but many of my memories as a child are with her. She lived back in the country where there were no lights at nighttime, no street lights that I can recall, and it was dark. But grandma had a thing by her bed that she called a flashlight. I called it a monster flashlight. It's one of those, you have seen these, I'm sure, in times past where the battery is about this big. You know what I'm talking about? And whenever there was a sense of uneasiness, all grandma needed to do was push the button on that light and let let some light come in the room. And it brought a sense of comfort. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? Light can bring comfort in the midst of darkness. Darkness is difficult. It can be very frightening, not knowing what's out there, which way to go, what lies ahead. But we know that Jesus is the one that Isaiah was expecting to bring light in the darkness. And that brings comfort. So we see that he's expecting comfort. It happens with the light. But also he is expecting comfort as the Messiah would bring light in darkness. But also as he would bring joy. Light and darkness brings joy and it brings gladness. In verse three, we see here that you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. So the prophet here is anticipating the Messiah as the one who will bring the comfort that they need as he multiplies the nation, increases the joy and causes rejoicing. It's Jesus who brings joy in salvation. In verse three, that joy is described here. It's the joy of the harvest. You know, um, if you've ever had a garden, when you've worked it and you've tilled it and you've toiled over it and you've gotten the rocks out and you've gotten the weeds out, when you get that first tomato, you know what I'm talking about? And the squirrel didn't get it before you did, or the bird didn't get it before you did, right? When you get that and you take it in your house and you slice that thing and you put mayonnaise on a piece of bread or butter on a biscuit. Oh, it's getting time for lunch, isn't it? And you put that tomato, there is joy in that harvest, amen? And that's what he's talking about, the joy of the harvest. And that was a big deal in that day where they gathered amid songs and rejoicing when the harvest came. And they concluded it with festivals, the joy of harvest. But then also the joy of the victory where he talks about as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Dividing the spoil, they would, they, were, they would have great joy after a victory when they would be able to divide the spoil. Meaning they had won they would they'd they'd conquered the enemy they were still alive after the battle and they would receive the rewards and so he's pointing forward Isaiah is pointing forward expecting comfort from the Messiah who's going to be, bring light in the midst of darkness but also going to bring joy in the midst of this gloom the one who has the, like, the joy of a harvest and the joy of victory and we know that that one that he was expecting is the one that has come and his name is Jesus and Jesus brings joy it is joy unspeakable and Isaiah is expecting comfort in this Messiah who brings light in the darkness and brings joy, but also as he brings victory. We see that in verses four and five. It says, for you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian for every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. Well, They had been, remember that the people here had been in the yoke, under the yoke of bondage and they had felt the rod of the oppressor. They had been afflicted, but now as Isaiah is expecting comfort in the Messiah who's to come, there is that hope because the Messiah is the one who is going to bring the victory over the enemy. Now, he talks about there in verse four, as in the days of Midian. And what is he talking about? as in the days of Midian. Well, it refers back to Gideon, back in Judges, Gideon's battle. If you remember that story, 300 men were fighting the Midianites. And these were God's men, remember? He had picked those 300 out. So, but then, if you remember, who is it who won the battle? It wasn't Gideon and the men, it was the Lord who actually won the battle. Because the Lord is the one who caused confusion in the camp as Gideon and his men were on the hills with clay pots and torches and trumpets. Not a man went into the camp of the Midianites, but it was God who caused the whole army of the Midianites to cry out, to run, and to flee. And so what he's saying here is such will the victory be. That it will not be by human hands, but by the power of God. That Jesus will bring the ultimate victory over our enemy, Satan. That he will crush Satan's power and sin's penalty by dying on the cross and rising again. This child who is to come, the Messiah, will bring ultimate victory. And that victory brings us comfort. First Corinthians 15:57 says, "But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. Isaiah is expecting comfort, saying that the Messiah will bring light and joy and victory." Now friends, let me just ask you, are you expecting comfort this Christmas through the traditions, through the events, through the activities? Those are, there's certainly nothing wrong with all of those things that we're all going to take part in and do this Christmas, but understand something at the get-go, okay? This is what we need to understand. Inevitably, not everything will be as you anticipate or expect, right? Something will not go exactly right. The gravy may scorch. The sweater may be too small. The toy may be broken within the first 15 minutes. Right? But that sense of comfort that we receive from Jesus, that He is our light in the darkness, our joy over the gloom and victory, that comfort, friends, will not ever disappoint. Never disappoint. Jesus never disappoints. Isaiah was expecting comfort. Secondly, he was expecting contentment. He was expecting contentment. Well, at Christmas, we are looking for happiness. We are looking for that which satisfies. We're hoping that we receive that gift that we've been hinting about. We're anticipating those new toys, those new gadgets, those new clothes that we picked out. We're we're looking for and expecting contentment in things, or in family gatherings, or an atmosphere of Christmas. And Isaiah also was expecting contentment, and he was pointing toward the Messiah, Jesus, with an anticipation of who he would be and how he would fulfill our greatest desires and meet our every longing, bringing true contentment and satisfaction. In verse 6 it says, as he is pointing toward that contentment that only the Messiah can bring. He says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. We see That these are two phrases that describe one person. A child is born and a son is given. That same person is Jesus. We see his humanity and we see his deity. He is born, his humanity. He is given by God the Father, his deity. So he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He will come as a baby and at the same time he comes as a gift, a son given. We know from Isaiah 7.14 that the Bible tells us, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. We know that he is a gift that has been given, for God so loved the world. John three sixteen that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He is the gift given for humanity to have everlasting life. But then Isaiah and and speaking about how he's expecting contentment in this Messiah, not only will he be uh, fully human, fully, uh, fully divine, and that he will be a, a child is born, a son is given. But we see also in verse six, it says, and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful counselor. What does that mean? We've heard it a a lot of years. What does that mean? Well, wonderful means to be full of wonder or full of awe. Counselor means honorable rank, have great wisdom, or to be qualified to guide. So what we see here is that this Messiah that Isaiah is pointing to expecting contentment is one who will be the counselor of wonders. Jesus is that counselor of wonders. He is the one who is qualified to guide us. He is the wonderful, awesome, and miraculous Savior. He, we stand in honor awe of him. He is wonderful, full of wonder. We we stand in awe of him. We stand in awe of his preexistence, his leaving the glory of heaven for us, his birth from a virgin, his miracle working power, his life of love, his humility and obedience to the father. We stand in awe of his death on the cross for us and his bodily resurrection from the dead. We stand in awe of him and he is qualified to guide us, qualified to show us the way because he is the way the bible says jesus says i am the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me and so he is mighty god he is the wonderful counselor and he is mighty god we see as well meaning he's fully man fully god who is almighty jesus born of a virgin Conceived of the Holy Spirit, able to walk on the water, calming the storm, healing the sick, raising the dead, and able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. He is God. Thomas answered and said to him in John twenty twenty eight, My Lord and my God. You see, Isaiah was expecting one who would be able to fulfill our desire for what's missing in our lives. Isaiah was expecting someone who could bring contentment to us because we are missing something in our lives without Jesus. And he was pointing forward to that one who could bring satisfaction, that one who could bring contentment, and that person would be mighty God, Jesus. And make no mistake, friends, Jesus is mighty God. He is not just a good man or a good prophet or a wonderful teacher, but he is mighty God. And as mighty God, we can expect to be satisfied in him and through him. But also we see in this passage that he is everlasting father or father of eternity. He's been from eternity and he will live eternally. He's the author of eternal life. In John 11 verses 25 and 26, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And so that's what Jesus says. And so friends, listen, Jesus is the one who brings satisfaction and contentment as we can rest in him and trust him for life that is eternal contentment. Isaiah is pointing forward to who he is and what he will do and what he will be. We see that he tells us that he is to be the wonderful counselor, the the mighty God, the everlasting father, and then that he is also the prince of peace. He's the prince of peace. He brought light in the darkness. He brought joy in the gloom. He brought victory over the enemy. And he has done that by bringing peace to people's hearts. He is, listen, Jesus is that contentment he is that satisfaction that isaiah was expecting and even more because the messiah jesus has brought peace as the prince of peace in colossians 1 19 through 20 it tells us here for it pleased the father that in him that's jesus all the fullness should dwell And that by him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Friends, let me just ask you this morning, as you're thinking about Christmas and life in general, where are you searching for that sense of contentment and satisfaction? You know, the world around us is looking for satisfaction. They're looking for contentment. And so many different ways today, so many different areas, so many different things. Let me ask you, are you expecting to find what you're searching for in that sense of contentment and satisfaction under your tree on December the 25th? And listen, those, those things are fun and those things are exciting, but they will not bring a sense of lasting contentment. Amen. There's never enough stuff to meet our longing. Just as soon as we get that thing which we think we just got to have, it's not long before we're tired of whatever that is and we find something else that we just have to have, right? It never lasts. There's always a desire for more. But hear what God says to us through the word this morning. It is Jesus who meets all of our needs. Expectations. And he is the one who is the only one who brings us lasting satisfaction and contentment as we are reconciled to God and are made right through Jesus Christ. He brings that contentment. Isaiah is anticipating Christmas. The Messiah is coming. He's expecting comfort, he's expecting contentment. And thirdly, he's expecting his coming. Expecting his coming. Well, you ask most children what they think about when they think of Christmas, and many will say, Santa Claus is coming, right? And you have to be honest, we're expecting him at our house. Yep, we've already begun to make plans. We've got stockings, and we've got a mantle this year for the first time. We're going to put those things up on the mantle. And uh, we've got a plate and a cup that we always use for Santa Claus for milk and cookies, because I understand he really likes those. And every once in a while, we even throw out what's known as reindeer food, which is uh, really basically oatmeal and glitter that you throw out on the ground, so the reindeer will see that. So we've got all that. We're ready for Santa Claus to come to town. But Isaiah was expecting the coming of someone also, but I assure you, it was not Santa Claus. It was the Messiah. In verse 7, he says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So Isaiah is saying in these verses, the Messiah will come, verses 1 through 6. The Messiah will come bringing comfort through light and joy and victory. He will bring contentment as he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And then verse 7, he is saying... Know this for certain, he is coming. That's what he's saying here. Verse 7, he says, the zeal of the Lord will perform this. The zeal means the intense desire in accomplishing something. So the Lord of hosts has an intense desire to offer hope to humanity. So Isaiah, looking forward in the prophetic Uh, Perfect. He is saying the Messiah is coming. You can count on it and his kingdom will not end. Now, friends, let me just say, as we know from the word of God, that Jesus is that Messiah and he did come. And it was God's plan of redemption. He came and he meets our expectations of comfort and he meets our expectations of contentment as a little, push a little pause button right there and say this, that does not mean that we never have tough days, right? That does not mean that life now, once we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that that now all is peachy and rosy and and, uh, roses all the time. No, but what it does mean is that as we go through the difficulties of life, we can still have comfort and have contentment because of who Jesus is. That's what that means, He has made us right with holy God and we know that ultimately we will be in his presence if we know him as savior and Lord. This Messiah that Isaiah is pointing forward to in anticipation of what he's expecting there in this Messiah came. His name is Jesus. But that is not the end of the story because Jesus is coming again. Amen. He is coming again. And so the question then now is, are you ready for him to return? Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13 talks about how we are looking for him to return. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming again. We anticipate that. We expect that because of the promises of God. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. Come quickly. He came and he is coming. And so it's important that we ask, do you know him as Savior? If not, as a step of faith. S-T-E-P. It is sinners turning while embracing and professing. S-T-E-P. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that we're sinners in need of a Savior. We turn, we repent. The Bible says, repent, therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Saying, I'm sorry, Lord, for all of my sin. And while we're doing that, we're embracing or believing with all of our heart that Jesus, God's son, died on the cross for us and rose again bodily from the grave. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And then professing is, we profess him as the Lord and Savior of our lives. We say yes. So we are sinners turning while embracing and professing. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Aren't you thankful for that today? That which Isaiah anticipated and expected has come. His name is Jesus. He loves us. He died for us. He rose again. He's offered us hope. He's given us comfort. He's given us contentment. He came and he is coming. So Christian, let me ask you this morning. What is it that you are expecting this Christmas? What are you anticipating? As you are expecting comfort, as you are expecting contentment, and you're expecting someone to come, let us look for Jesus. Let us long for Jesus. Let us keep our eyes on Jesus and let us expect Jesus to show up, amen? Let's expect Jesus to show up in our lives. Let us expect Jesus to show up in our services. Let us expect Jesus to show up in our events and in all of our family time and our gatherings as we meet together. And you know what? Even let's expect Jesus This is going to knock your socks off. Let's expect Jesus to show up while we're standing in line at the store buying those packages. Because he's there and he is worthy to be proclaimed and exalted. Amen? Let's expect Jesus this Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for who you are. And for what you're doing. And Lord, we confess to you and we repent, Lord, even of how we lose sight of who you are and what you have done. We confess before you, Lord, how we oftentimes are expecting so much less than what you have to offer us because of our traditions and our excitement about a season. And Lord, we thank you for the events that we have and all the things that take place. But help us, Lord, to remember that it is all about you. And so, Lord, give us that sense of expectation that wells up from deep within us, an expectation of your presence in everything that we do this season, that we may meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. And, Lord, that you may work in our own hearts, and our own lives to draw us closer to walk with you, to love you more, and to have a greater passion for you. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. Thank you for your presence. and Thank you, Lord, for this time. If there are those who need to know Jesus, Lord, this hour, for their salvation, may this be that hour. May this be that moment. And those of us who know you as Lord and Savior, if you're dealing with our hearts about refreshing in our hearts, a recommitment, surrendering something to you, seeking to be obedient in somewhere you're calling us or a task that's before us. Or maybe it's just us saying to you, Lord, this day, as I go from this point forward in Christmas, Lord, I just want to keep my eyes on you. So Lord, may you have your way as we sing in just a moment in every heart and every life for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand, we're going to sing, only trust him. I'll be here at the front, be glad to pray with you or if you just want to come and kneel and pray. You're welcome to do that as well as we sing together.